Welcome to the Constitutional Law Lecture. They don't want you to hear. This is Mike Cernovich, and we are actually going to talk about constitutional law. It may come as a surprise to some, but I'm a published law scholar. I've been cited in legal opinions for constitutional law stuff. I worked for Doug Comack in law school as his research assistant, worked on his case book, got the highest class grades in constitutional law, was part of a move for Ken Starr, blah, blah, blah. But I want to talk to you about the Mueller report and this idea that it is not democratic, that you cannot indict a sitting president of the United States for obstruction of justice. Is it really undemocratic? Let's talk about our system and how our system is set up. And that's again why they don't want you to hear this lecture. Let's read to you from the Federalist Papers. Federalist number 51. Ambition must be made to counteract ambition. The interests of the man must be connected with the constitutional rights of the place. It may be a reflection on human nature that such devices should be necessary to control the abuses of government. But what is government itself but the greatest of all reflections of human nature? If men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. This is again the Federalist Papers, number 51. And if you want a sense for how much our public discourse has declined, I would encourage you to read the Federalist Papers and compare that with what people like uh, Lawrence Tribe are saying on Twitter. And you would say, okay, <laughs> we've, we've gone downhill from here. The Federalist Papers were a series of papers published anonymously, although we now, we now know who published them, arguing why America needed a real constitution and what that constitution would look like and why we would have a constitution, a written constitution. And you talk about the Federalist Papers number 51, that is dealing with separation of powers. Ambition must be made to counteract ambition. This is why we have a judiciary, why we have a congressional branch, why we have an executive branch. Now, what does that have to do with Mueller, Mr. Mueller? What does it have to do with Mueller and why he can't indict and why that would be undemocratic? Here's what it has to do. The separations of powers is the structure of the Constitution. If you read the Constitution and you talk to people who have studied the Constitution, they will say that there's a structure to the Constitution. It is written a certain way. For example, it will say Article 1 of the Constitution. What does Article 1 of the Constitution mean? Article 2 of the Constitution, what does that mean? Article 3 of the Constitution, that vests the judicial power, right? So they will say the judicial power is vested in, and that is based on how the structure of the Constitution is written. You have different articles, different provisions of the Constitution, and each one is separate and co-equal. Congress, for example, can indict the president. That is your democratic remedy to presidential overreach. And the president, of course, has been vested with all kinds of power under Article 2 of the Constitution. Again, there are three main articles that talk about the structure of the Constitution. Article 1 deals with legislative power. Article 2 deals with executive power. And Article 3 deals with judicial power. Article 2, the executive power shall be vested in a president of the United States. What does the executive power mean? Again, I'm going to teach you how to think legally, and this is the way that legal commentators should talk about 
such matters. The executive power shall be vested in the President of the United States. Executive power includes the power to prosecute, right? Most people don't know that because they want you to be ignorant. The executive power, Article 1, or rather Article 2, Section 1 of the Constitution, is vested in the President of the United States, and the executive power is considered the power to prosecute. Congress, for example, writes the laws, the federal criminal laws, and then the Department of Justice, which is an executive branch government, enforces those laws. Do you understand? And then the judicial branch is where you go to say, my rights are being violated. Let's look at this in the microcosm. You get pulled over and stopped because you have a little marijuana. It is illegal to transport marijuana across state lines. Why is it illegal? Because Congress enacted a law that the president signed. You will be prosecuted by the feds. That is the executive branch of government. And you will go to court and say, court, my rights have been violated. There is prosecutorial overreach. One, two, three, all into one. So the question is, and this is the riddle, and this is why the traditional governance of, or the traditional guidance of the Department of Justice is you cannot not indict a sitting president, is the president has the pardon power. Also, this is in the Constitution. And the president has sole executive power, the sole prosecutorial power. How then does the president indict himself? Do you understand what I'm saying? If, according to the structure of the Constitution, the executive power is vested in the president and the executive power includes the power to prosecute, then how does the sitting president indict himself? Because everybody beneath him is part of the executive branch. Now, people might not like that, but that's the structure of the Constitution. People might argue against that on a normative basis and say, well, that shouldn't be the structure of the Constitution because it's undemocratic. Okay, well, let's talk about that undemocratic argument for a moment. Was Robert Mueller elected in a democratic election? Yes or no? Of course, we know he was not elected. William Barr, not elected. The United States attorneys in the various districts, including the Southern District of New York, not elected. Why would it be democratic for an unelected prosecutor to indict the sitting president of the United States who was elected? See, you, you listening in, you might not like the results and you might say, well, the Electoral College was won, but the popular vote was lost and blah, blah, blah. But again, let's just... Stick with the arguments. I want you to think not like an NPR listener. I want you to think like an intelligent person, not like somebody who reads those weirdo Lawrence tribe people who are completely unhinged and probably have dementia. Is it democratic for an unelected prosecutor to indict a democratically elected president of the United States? That's not democratic. And we all know it's not democratic. The democratic remedy against the sitting president of the United States is what? The impeachment power. Oh, let's go back to the structure of the Constitution, right? Let's go back to the structure of the Constitution because there is actually a democratic remedy. We were reading, again, Article 1 of the Constitution. The House of Representatives shall choose their speaker and other officers and have the sole power of impeachment. The House of Representatives issues what are known as articles of impeachment that are brought against the sitting president, and then the Senate votes to convict. So even the impeachment power is split in a democratic way. The House impeached President William Jefferson Clinton. He was impeached. In my view, that special counsel investigation was an abomination, but I'm not here to go into that. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm not into go, going into Morrison versus Olson. Oh, how many people who are talking about these issues know what Morrison v. Olson is? And that involved Ted Olson, who became Solicitor General, but at the time as executive branch official. And the idea was, is it even constitutional for Congress to appoint a special prosecutor? Hmm. Yes, the quirks. Article 3 branch, Supreme Court of the United States, is a little quirky. And they oversaw a case that involved an executive official who was being investigated by the special counsel. And the argument was that the special counsel statute was unconstitutional because Congress shouldn't have the power to appoint an independent prosecutor. Because why? Because the executive power is vested in the executive. Now, a lot of people, I don't know, I hope you find this stuff fun. Um, I hope you find this interesting. You may not find it interesting, but I hope you at least find it edifying, which is that you have to look at the structure of the Constitution. You have to understand the co-equal branches of government, Article 1, Article 2, Article 3, how the powers are vested in different branches of government. You have to understand the Federalist Papers and the constitutional design. And then you have to look at words like democracy and ask if people are just throwing these terms around. So is it, again, is it democratic to have an unelected prosecutor indict an elected president, especially when you factor in that there is a democratic remedy against Trump. The House of Representatives has the power to issue articles of impeachment and the Senate can vote to convict under impeachment. So there is a democratic democratic remedy for Trump. And then, by the way, if they do impeach him, then guess what? Then he can be indicted unless he pardons himself, which presents another sort of tricky, thorny prosecutorial issue, which is what if a sitting president were indicted, not, rather not indicted, but impeached, and he saw which way it was going, and then he decided to pardon himself and then resign, would that pardon be constitutional? The best scholars have said, yes, it would be, because you'll hear this word plenary, and that means complete and total power. The power to pardon is plenary. So let's talk one more time about why the Mueller investigation is being misrepresented, at least as it relates to the obstruction charges that were not brought against Trump. The executive branch, the full executive power, and that includes the prosecutorial power, is vested in the President of the United States, like him or not, Donald Trump. A lower branch executive official can't indict an upper branch executive official. And moreover, even if the prosecutor could indict him, would we want rogue prosecutors indicting a sitting president? Because you might, and again, this is why you have to read the Federalist Papers and understand that there are, there are limits and there's a good reason why. Your guys might be in power today, but they might not be in power tomorrow. Would you like it if a prosecutor, let's say you're a, let's say you're a liberal, you're a liberal, you're listening in, because I have a lot of liberal readers, and you get your guy in or you get your girl in, you get Hillary Clinton into office and Hillary Clinton was president of the United States. What if somebody in flyover country, someone in Iowa, a prosecutor, United States attorney in Iowa, what if that United States attorney in Iowa says, you know what, I'm going to indict Hillary Clinton because I'm going to run for president and this will be great for me. He indicts Hillary Clinton. If Hillary Clinton fired the prosecutor who indicted her, would she be obstructing justice? Even though she has the power to appoint prosecutors. Do you understand how these paradoxes and contradictions are coming into play? Once you understand the structure of the Constitution, the limitations on each branch of government, and the democratic remedies that are written into the Constitution, read the Federalist Papers, 
read the Constitution. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Cernovich. This is at rockfin.com. If you're listening in and you haven't already, be sure to endorse it.